Hello, it's great to see you, and welcome back to another installment of Path to Abundant Living. I'm your host, Ryan Ruff. I've got the stars of our show, Mr. Matt Nordman and Scott Morrison of Morrison Nordman and Associates. They'll be joining me momentarily. But look, first and foremost, we always want to take a moment to thank you, our audience, for finding your way back here to the show. As most of you probably know, each episode, Matt, Scott, and I, we take a deep dive into a wealth management-related topic. We tap into their experiences and how they go about their dealings with clients and get their insights into the this world of wealth management, how they approach a given situation, because ultimately they've got some strategies at their disposal that can help put you, maybe your business, maybe your family on that path to abundant living. So today's episode, we've got a great one on tap for you today. I'm really excited about the conversation. And as you know, if you're a recurring listener with us, then you know that we stress a lot on the family dynamic because there's a lot to unpack within a family and their wealth. Today, we're going to be going over a, a document, really, a living, breathing document that can be used to really help keep a, a family in line when it comes to viewing their wealth, you know, trying to make sure everybody understands what those goals look like that the wealth wants to accomplish uh, and, and so much more, honestly. So with that, let's go ahead and bring on Matt and Scott to get today's conversation rolling. Matt, Scott, good to see you guys. How are we doing today? Morning, Ryan. Doing great. How about you? I'm doing well. Can't complain. We got a got a great episode on tap for our audience today. Uh, we're diving into the idea of the the family constitution. So, guys, to kind of set the scene, if you will, for our audience, you know, one of the biggest concerns that's facing affluent families is really how to just manage their wealth so it achieves a few different goals. Right. The first goal, of course, being to grow their wealth. Second goal being to make sure it's transferred down to younger generations when that time comes. And then third being to make sure it's it's you know not unjustly taken from any creditors. Or, or any predators that we, you know, we've talked about in, in past episodes. And often the best place to start with achieving these three goals and positioning your wealth in that, you know, in that vein is to make sure that the family members are all, you know, on the same page and aligned when it comes to the key issues and the key goals that are facing the family's wealth overall. And a great place to start with that is this family constitution. So We'll take a quick little step back, and Matt, I'll throw this first question over you to get the conversation started. Is in your experience, Matt, what kind of unique challenges do you see arising when families with wealth attempt to work together to manage their assets as a whole? Well, there's a lot of issues, but but first, you know, what we see is this wealth can can help families achieve great things and and follow that shared vision if they have that shared vision, but also as you were alluding to, and we're going to cover a little bit more, it, it can create potentially family conflicts. And and when you have multiple family members and, and maybe across multiple generations, there's potential conflicts that can arise and, and maybe some resentments. And and unfortunately, what we've seen is is estrangement in families. And so what what ends up happening is 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 you want to have those families working together for that shared vision to create those great things. You know, we see we see in the news, you know, the, the public family issues of, you know, like Britney Spears and her father, right? There's this this court battle that's playing out in public that no one I can imagine would want to see happen publicly, any, you know, family history or issues that are that are out there. And you know, locally, you know, we had, this was just probably about four or five years ago was the end of it, but there was a, a family business here, you know, 60 plus years, a, a staple in the community, 20, 2022 locations that really served the community with what the business was, as well as the, the charitable giving 
from this family and this organization. And, and when they didn't have this, apparently what it was a shared vision and then multiple family members. And, and unfortunately now that, that family business is, is out of business mm-hmm. and the impact on the community has been not just for what it was, but this, the, the, the charitable aspect of it, it's, it's sad. Sure, absolutely. You know, as we have mentioned in past episodes, you know, when family and wealth gets mixed together, every now and then it can be a little sticky. It can be tough to navigate in some of these instances. So, Scott, I'll throw this next question over to you then. You know, are there any specific wealth-related issues that you guys tend to see maybe more among family members uh, and families with significant assets than those, uh, you know, the families that might not have significant assets? Any specific issues? Well, I think it depends largely, as always, on the amount of the assets uh, or whether the family's involved in a business together where each each you know, family member has a specific role or, or position within that business. But broadly speaking, as, as wealth, wealthy families grow and expand over time, uh, you know, keeping them and their shared wealth together uh, can be a challenge sometimes, uh, primarily because at that level of wealth, so often that, that wealth is commingled between family members in, in really complex structures like uh, multi-generational trusts. So if there's a family member who feels wronged in any way uh, or feels that you know they need to take uh, some form of legal action to break up such a trust, then, then of course that can lead to even greater disharmony uh, to the point where the family's bottom line is, is uh, jeopardized. Sure, sure. So, guys, ultimately, then that begs to be, you know, the question that now begs to be asked is what can families then do to create and ultimately maintain, you know, more harmonious relationships and situations where both the attitudes of family members, uh, you know, are, are aligned. And then, of course, their ideas on how the wealth should be allocated are aligned. So that way, everybody's just kind of working together to make sure uh, that, that they're all putting the best foot forward when it comes to the wealth. Well, so one of the things, Ryan, you know, to avoid these, you know, similar outcomes and, and some other things is what we believe would be extremely helpful. And you see is is creating a formal family constitution. And and what that will do is is as a tool to kind of dodge those serious issues, but also kind of formalize what it is that the family believes and the objectives kind of moving forward. You know, we see, you know, we talk about, you know, on the show, you know, what are what are the super rich that ultra high net worth, five hundred million dollars and above? What are, what are they doing? And with a lot of positive results, many have and are creating this formal family constitution. And and what we believe is that even if your net worth is nowhere near that amount, that that many families should be considering of uh, this tool for them and their families. So Scott, uh, take me into the inner workings of this this family constitution. You know, how does it ultimately promote these better relationships that we need, especially when it does tie into the family's wealth? How does that work out? Well, family constitutions start first by the family recognizing that there's contentiousness in nearly all families, mm-hmm. uh, that there's going to be disagreements, there's going to be arguments. Uh, you know, it's not just about wealth. So rather than avoid conflicts, uh, even when we try to avoid conflicts about anything else in our lives, sometimes we need to spell out specific ways that we can effectively address those conflicts before they happen. Uh, you know, to kind of anticipate what might arise in the near future over time, and even you know, with with the kind of wealth that we we're, we're dealing with here across multiple generations. Uh, these constitutions are designed to, to detail how the family will 
ultimately deal with inevitable conflicts when they arise. Usually when the Constitution includes well-documented methods for addressing the issues, the family can then be more effective at you know, reducing infighting and maybe even eliminate some of it. So, I mean, the whole point of the family constitution is to head off conflicts by promoting communication and striving for consensus, even though we know that's not always uh, you know, something that can be done, but we wanna make sure that there's enough written and agreed upon core principles, core values, and long-term intentions of the family that those things are, are, are really alive in that document and remind those family members as those conflicts come up uh, what they're really trying to accomplish, you know, uh, through that constitution. So guys, our audience is probably sitting here thinking, okay, well, yeah, this makes total sense. You know, a document where it keeps everybody on the same page outlines family goals and dynamics. So my next question to you guys would be the, how, how would a family go about drafting this document, uh, you know, to achieve these types of goals and outcomes? Well, what you want to do, Ryan, is is when when creating this formal family constitution is figure out ways to equitably address all these concerns and and kind of have it written out and and so kind of reviewing these things, whether whether your wealth is is that like we we're talking about earlier, that family business or including maybe there's real estate, whether it's commercial or residential or it's just your own, you have multiple properties. And maybe you have a, a classic car collection. And so, well, looking at, well, how is this wealth to be used by the family members and, and, and what limitations on, are there on, on investing it, donating it, um, and, and spending it and, and how family members make those decisions and, and how can they impact the decision-making process? And then how family members also are prepared to kind of continue that that legacy of what are those values that the family stands for now and and in the future and so there's three kind of key areas that you want to make sure that are addressed or that are in that constitution and first and foremost is who is defined as family you know as families get larger you know who counts as family when looking at this constitution do you do you, some some constitutions will exclude those who marry into the family or you know, what about stepchildren or grandchildren and, and having having that process of defining it, who is defined as family? And second, what's the ideology of the family? What does the family stand for? What do they believe? What are those core values and objectives that they would like to see continued into the future? And then thirdly, well, what are the reasons that we stay together? You know, as Scott was talking about earlier, you know, there's a when you have this wealth that's commingled, well, why should we stay together and, and having that process in place that you can refer back to to say, OK, remember, these are the reasons that we're doing this. And, and a lot of times, first and foremost, it's because we love each other and we want what's best for the entire family. And so having those three key areas to start is, is a great way to to begin. Mm -hmm. I, I hear you on, on the how, you know, that's, there's a lot of good that can be accomplished with this document to keep everybody on the same page, identify the, you know, the who's the ideology, like you mentioned, and of course the reasons for staying together, which is equally as you know important as of course the wealth itself. Now, my next question would be, is, is another who, uh, but it's more in terms of the creation process. So Scott, who from a given family should be involved in discussing these issues and then, you know, involved in that creating of the actual document? Like who, who should be kind of spearheading this operation from a given family? 
Well, each family essentially has key decision makers, and and obviously you want those key decision makers to be involved, and they need to be heard. But, but while that's also something that oftentimes the family leans on as those key decision makers, it's really necessary to gain consensus consensus amongst as many family members as possible. Uh, you know, especially when you think about the longevity of of the Constitution, how it could trans uh, translate into future generations. Uh, so without any broad-based agreements, uh, the family constitution will likely not even be written. And if it is, it could very likely be contested. So it, it's really important that that family constitution be written when the family's relationships are the strongest, uh, which makes you know sense. I, it, I mean, when, when we are feeling the best about each other, we can agree on more. And so that's when consensus is more likely. And when everyone is motivated to reach agreements, and develop shared solutions, uh, that constitution comes, you know, comes together really quickly, especially when you can talk about how we're going to solve problems before we're actually dealing with one. Roger that. And Scott, you, you just mentioned something interesting here in terms of the family constitution being contested. So I feel like I got to ask this next question just to clear some things up. And you know, how formal of a document is this? You know, are, are these is this constitution a legal binding document or is it more like a set of guidelines and recommendations and principles? You know, walk me through that. So that's a, that's a great question. So it is a formal document. You know, you, you, you sit down and, and it's written out. But in the legal sense, it is not in most cases, it's not a legal and binding contract. What what it is, it's it's that set of guidelines that as Scott said, when when everyone is getting along, you you agree to kind of all these principles and, and things that you want in your own constitution. And then what you want is you you pledge to honor this over time. And and when those issues come up or things bubble up to the surface, then you can go back and point to that when when everyone was getting along. To, and say, okay, remember when we said this and, and we agreed upon this, let's let's go back to that time. And, and then you have that formal process. So, you know, in most cases, no, it's not a legal binding document, but it is it is formal in that it's a written document. Gotcha. So I just wanted to make sure we touched on that because, I mean, the formalities, yeah, they're important, but it is good to know, you know, the legalities, if any, behind it. Um, guys, uh, you know, one thing we talk about so much on this show is how situations change. Every family's financial world changes over time, given a plethora of different, you know, uh, opportunities, outcomes, you know, impactful things. That being said, this family constitution plays a big role in the wealth overall in terms of making sure everybody's aligned. So given this ever-changing world that we live in and how a family's wealth can rise, it can fall, problems can enter the case, you know, what other advice might you have in terms of helping to ensure that a family constitution not only is adhered to, but then remains relevant over time given all these different factors that can come into our world and change things up? Any advice on this? Well, I think a huge thing to understand is the family constitution is just, as you said, it's a living document. It's not something static, a one and done agreement that you just, you know, file and put in a, in a file cabinet. Uh, I think from the, from the very get go, when it's established, you make it very known to all the family members that are putting that constitution together, that it is in fact a living document and that it's going to be really important to modify that constitution uh, over time as the family circumstances evolve. Uh, which they're they're certainly going to do. So it's important to try and adopt a, a flexible approach so that 
you know, certain family members can be given more authority over time as they get older, more trustworthy, uh, that that approach will encourage family, you know, harmony, harmony over the, the years and situations that evolve. So uh, again, I think it's important that you have a document, you know, kind of the, 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 bed, the bedrock of your, of your uh, uh, foundation for that constitution, but understand that there are going to be changes along the way. Got it. Guys, we've thrown a lot at our audience today and just in terms of the document, the who's, the how's. You know, my next my next question is if somebody in our audience is listening to this and they're thinking to themselves, well, this is this is nice. This is good. And boy, could it really help my personal situation with my family. Who then could they turn to? Who can families turn to for help with all this? Not only just from the process of identifying, you know, what the family values and what the family's concerns are, but then, of course, into the actual, you know, De, you know, development of the document and then, and then beyond the development, make sure it's revised and revisited down the road. Who should somebody turn to for help with this? Well, as we all know, gaining consensus among family members, you know, requires, you know, openness, cooperation, and communication. And, and sometimes even, Hey, what should we, you know, if you have a big gathering and well, we're going to order pizza, you know, what should we get? You know, what, and, and, you know, that can lead to, you know, sometimes, some contentiousness. And so then when you, when you throw in this, the family wealth and making decisions along that and, you know, future and, and all that. So what, what we see is, is bringing in a facilitator to help with this, because what ends up happening is, is you want someone who can help kind of keep those, those potential family issues or acrimony that's maybe been there for years or kind of bubbled under the surface, kind of keep those maybe at bay or down to a minimum and keep people focused on the agenda at hand and, and really creating that, that formal constitution about what is best for the family? What are we trying to achieve? What are those values and objectives? And having that neutral third-party facilitator step in and help can, again, keep people focused and because there's, you know, with family dynamics, right, we, we just know, you know, we kind of make the joke that most, if not all families have some level of dysfunction, it might be just a little bit and hey, we can have family dinners, you know, on Sunday and, and get extended family together and go on vacations together or, you know, the joke is or you're on Jerry Springer airing your arguments that way. And so having a third party facilitator who's not Jerry Springer right? Might be a, a way to kind of, you know, help facilitate creating this document and, and keep the, the lines of communication open. I love that. And that's quite a memorable analogy there, Matt. So well done. <laughs> um, hey guys, to bring our conversation really to a head, Scott, I'll throw it to you one final time here in closing for us, just bottom line it for me. How would you sum up just the ultimate key reasons why somebody listening, somebody watching today should be considering a family constitution for their family? Well, I think the well-crafted family constitution is going to accomplish, you know, several objectives. The one I like the most is the word memorialize. The idea that we're all going to get together and kind of memorialize a family's principles and values and keep them alive, not only for ourselves while, while we're still on the surf, but for, for our future generations. And that if, if that, those very general family principle and core values are there, then that's going to establish for future generations kind of a checks and balances, uh, you know, as, as other family members with different interests remind themselves what those core values are. And it will be easier to address conflicts and, and create communication protocols. You know, what, 
what were we going to do? What are we supposed to do in these kind of situations? So it's going to promote that kind of accountability amongst family members, and it's going to ensure inflex, uh, flexibility. I mean, we talked about it's a living document, so we need to have something that, that adapts to change. So I think it's those primarily those four things. Got it. And Matt, anything to chime in here? Yeah. So, you know, to, as you're saying, to kind of sum up and, and piggyback what Scott was saying, and, and we alluded to it earlier, that that there's a lot of families who say, well, you know, we don't have that, quote unquote, that much. And, you know, but you've achieved a lot over your life and, and really trying to create that harmony of, you know, current and future generations with what you've done and and really having this formal constitution that, like Scott said, is that living, breathing document that you can keep referring back to and saying, why are we doing what we're doing? You know, we've we've achieved this level of whatever it might be. And 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 why do we want to keep moving forward together? And this the the formal family constitution is a great way to achieve that. Well, guys, I, look, I really appreciate the conversation today. As as our you know recurring listeners know, we hit on the family dynamic a lot, and I have a feeling that in future episodes, as we continue to you know delve into the family dynamics and how it's tied to wealth, I think we're going to be circling back to this conversation a time or two. So, look, I appreciate your time today, and and uh, I really uh, enjoyed you know getting together to kind of go over this this living, breathing document in the family constitution. It's great to be with you again, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan. Alrighty, thanks guys. And look, we also want to thank you, our audience, for tuning in to another episode. If you liked what you saw today, you liked what you heard about the family constitution, maybe you're interested more about it. Well, first off, do us a favor. Please comment on the show, subscribe to the show, share this information with friends and family. You know, at the end of the day, these are our wealth management related strategies that we want to share with you to help put you and yours on that path to abundant living. And if you're interested in that family constitution process, certainly reach out to a third party facilitator as as Matt had mentioned, it can help keep the family grounded, keep everybody focused on achieving those desired results, and once more, get you guys on that path to abundant living. So, hey, for Matt and Scott, I'm Ryan Ruff saying so long, and we appreciate you so much, and thanks for tuning in to another edition of Path to Abundant Living. Securities offered through Securities America Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC. Advisory services offered through Securities America Advisors. Morrison, Norbin & Associates and Securities America are separate entities. All investing involves risk, including the possible risk of principal.